what's that old classic phrase? More money, more problems. But I think that's only yeah. really, that's only true if you're not being mindful about it, right? Mm-hmm. If you have a nice, healthy six-figure income and you're thoughtful about how the money is flowing through, more money can be less problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when you do have more money, um, one of the things that that we talk about some is you have to tell your money what to do. Like you have to logically tell your money what to do, or it will emotionally disappear because that's, <laughs> it's so easy to go spend stuff. You know, that's fun. Ah, but so we have to like take that step back and say, okay, oh. we, we have you know we got to pay this, this, and this, and then we can use the rest of it for other spending. Welcome to the Healthy Love and Money podcast. If you find money to be the number one, two, or even third largest source of stress in your relationship, then you're in the right place. Going beyond how to budget, invest, and do your taxes, we're going to explore financial intimacy. Discover how to talk with your partner about your shared financial life. Let's take the awkward and painful out of money conversations. Join me and hit follow to listen to weekly inspiring, healing, and motivating interviews with financial therapists, couples therapists, and financial planners, and so many more. Let's go on the journey of financial intimacy together. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Healthy Love and Money podcast. Today, it's my distinct honor to welcome Pam Horak to the show. Now, Pam and I are dear friends from way back. She's a fellow financial planner, and she loves helping people with cash flow in particular. That, like, I'm sure, Pam, you have many ways that you love helping people, but the thing that we talk so much about is cash flow planning. And why I wanted to invite Pam on the show is she has a very new and innovative program that she's launching called Smart Women Budgeting. And I'm gonna ha- I'm having her on the show because I know there's a lot of insight that'll be helpful for women. And Pam, if you don't mind, I'm gonna ask, how does this relate to guys too? Because there's a lot of ladies out there that are partnered with guys and they're trying to coordinate around their spending. So I'm curious about how that this program will help support women that are also in partnership. So lots of questions for you. I'm so happy to have you here. Welcome. Well, thank you so much, Ed, for inviting me. I appreciate it. And just, um, yes, I do love talking about budgeting. I don't know why that is. People think I'm kind of nuts. But um, in all the time that I've been planning, what I've found is the more I talk to people, even if they think their budget is right, there's always areas that they can improve. And sometimes people come to me and thinking they need a financial plan. But when I look at their numbers, they really need a budget before they can get the plan together. So budgeting is such a core piece of, of everything we do. And uh, to your point, Yes, budgeting is for men as well as for women. Um, we developed this particular program for women as a starting point because we know that there are so many women out there in transition. Uh, women tend to outlive their husbands. So it's really important that they understand these budgeting concepts before they're kind of thrown to the wolves on their own. This is very helpful for them. Um, but honestly, the same concepts that we go through in this program apply to men as well. The the process works the same. The ideas work the same. The budgeting concepts work the same. We just have geared our, our information towards women because women tend to feel differently than men about their budget. Well, I think, you know, it's always such an interesting thing in my mind is this, the gender dynamics of money and right, 
core financial planning practices are good for either gender or however your gender identify. And yet we know as humans, men kind of like to gather together to talk about some things and women like to gather to talk about things. And that's just part of the way it is. And so that's really the initiative is just realizing women on the whole feel safer talking with other women about their budgeting than a mixed company maybe. And so this mm -hmm. is part yes, of... Yes, I think so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's been your experience. Yes, I, I have found and read and heard, and I think this kind of holds true, um, men tend to be more um, active and interested in the investing and the bigger picture pieces of what goes on with their money, while women not you, know, not always, but women tend to um, focus more on the day-to-day -day in the budgeting. Because as women, we, again, not true in all cases, but, um, you know, we tend to be the people at home, the people focusing on the kids, the people making sure that the household runs yeah. uh, correctly. And that tends to, that budgeting piece tends to fall in our lap. So that's another reason for, again, focusing this, um, this course towards women. Yeah, no, I think those I've seen similar types of statistics that women on the whole are still primarily responsible for household daily financial decision making, weekly financial decision making. And if you're making the decisions about daily and weekly spending, that means you're also typically responsible for maintaining the, the budget or the spending plan for the family. And, you know, I, when I'm working with couples, uh, that's what I see is the women are primarily responsible for the day to day spending decisions, not in all cases. And the, the male partner and um, those couples can feel really frustrated because they can feel like it's really out of control and there is no clear path and they don't know how to engage their wife or, or female partner in a conversation about household spending and how it connects to the piece of the pie that they're looking at, which is the long-term investment planning that they're trying to make sure we're accumulating enough in this path. And so it's, Trying to get the, the partners working together is always the, the question in my mind. So that's why I'm so excited to hear about your view of budgeting and how it supports women in developing a, a healthy, sustainable, manageable process around mm -hmm. cash flow management. So that was a long-winded reflection, sorry. <laughs> That's okay, but you're exactly right. Um, you know, they really don't do a good job of teaching us this in, in school, like high school or college, but the, the facts are that budgeting does not become important to us until it needs to be. So it's, yeah, yeah. it's one of those just in time learning pieces. You know, it's, of course, it's not important in high school and college because you're not earning any money. There's nothing to budget. But once you get out, you, you know, have to, you know, make your car payment and your student loans and pay rent and still go get your hair done. You know, <laughs> you've got to figure the, those pieces out. And it is just as important for men and women to have that conversation together, make some of those, particularly the big spending decisions, make those decisions together. And then once you make those decisions, then the the budget can can run itself because everybody's already made the decisions. You don't have to rethink them. You don't have to revisit them all the time. It, it's done. And that's one of the things I think about this program that's very helpful is you can make all those decisions up front, make them one time, and then all you have to do is implement them every month and you're all set. So what you've developed... It in talking to you before starting this interview is you have both kind of a training program 
but there's also an app. And so the mm -hmm. other thing that flipped through my mind is, you know, when we, you and I were coming up, there were computers and apps and the internet were not really a thing. And so like, even mm -hmm. if we had a high school budgeting class, there was no class on how to use an app to manage and track the flow of money. And we, let's face it, in 2023, we live primarily in a digital currency world. And so we have to learn how to organize digital information and the flow of it. And it's, we've got cards and accounts in 23 different places and good Lord, trying to keep it all tracked can get overwhelming. So how do you help people start to make it simpler so they can really see uh, where they're going? Yeah, I, I think you're right. Sometimes I wonder if the digital has helped us or hurt us in, in this area. Um, I actually have been reading a lot of articles and seeing a lot of things about people um, discovering, particularly like millennials and Gen Z, discovering this new budgeting method called paper. And they are going back to paper and pencil because there's something about, you know, mentally connecting what you're writing and what you're thinking together that, that's a positive. And um, so we wanted to, to use the digital tools that we have to help people, one, learn about budgeting and um, how they can do it in, in an effective manage, management. Right. Manage it? Did that say that right? Anyway, they can manage it effectively. Right. Um, but two, use the app in connection with that to help them make their budgeting decisions. So the app that we created is very, very different than what you'll see online. There are uh, tons of budgeting apps. There's, yeah. um, you know, the, the budgeting apps within your um uh, like bill pay online at the banks. There's some standalone apps. There's all kinds of them. Yeah. And and I've looked at a lot of these. And what I discovered is they these apps look at your spending and say, here's what you've spent in the past. These are budget tracking apps is what they tend to be. Right. Very few of them help you make decisions for the future budgeting that you need to do. And that's really what a budget is. It is just a tool to tell your money what to do. And so sometimes those backward looking apps are not as helpful because it tells you what you've already spent. Well, I don't need to know that. I can find that. I need to know what I'm going to spend and what I plan to spend. And that way, I that's how you reach your goals is by looking forward. You know, I think that, you know, what's that analogy is how do we drive down the road, right? We drive by looking through the front windshield, kind of at everything that's coming up and we're making adjustments as we drive down the road. Yes. And we spend a little bit of time checking the rear view mirrors and the side mirrors to make sure like nothing's coming from behind us that's going to catch up with us or be a problem. And I think that feels like an mm -hmm. apt analogy when we approach money spending from a healthy reflective standpoint, right, is... I know there's a lot of people that have a lot of remorse and regret and shame about the past money decisions that they've made. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's the psychological work sometimes people have to do to, to really be able to look at money from a healthy, proactive standpoint, which is what I love that you bring to the table is, no, folks, let's, let's look forward. We can make some reasonable assumptions about what's coming down the pipe in the next week, the next month, the next couple of months, six months, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And one of the things that this this program, the you know, the, the teaching piece of this program, I feel like the teaching is just as much as not more important than the app itself. The app, again, is just a tool to help us. But, you know, part of what we encourage people is 
um, you know, to to help meet your goals, you've got to pay yourself first. You know, you've got to fill up your own bucket um, so that you can feel good about that. You know, I, I always say I would rather somebody put $5 in their savings account on a regular, consistent, ongoing basis rather than put 500 in and have to turn around and take it right back out to go spend on something else because they didn't budget right. So if you budget right, it's okay if you're just putting tiny bits in your savings. You're going to see progress over time. So those things are, they're, they're good and they're positive uh, forward building um, type tool so that you can create that that savings and give you that comfort safety level that you need. Like Maslow would always say, you know, you need that safety level before you can move forward. And right. and that's really what um, the savings does. So we encourage you to get that savings in there, even if it's just a tiny bit. You know, I think about self-care and I've given presentations to a number of women's group recently and a lot of women struggle with taking care of themselves. They're they're kind of culturally conditioned to be thinking about everybody else and meeting everybody else's needs. And so I wonder how that shows up even in this very basic part of um, budgeting and spending money and setting money aside. And this is, I mean, sometimes it's about having money set aside so you can go get your hair done or your nails done, but sometimes it's about saving money just to have for the unexpected or just because. And it's, what I like is, you know, I was meeting with a, a female client, actually, prospective client recently, and she said, well, we need to make a 180 degree in our spending, like right now. It's, And I'm just like, okay, yeah, I mean, I hear you. But I think it's such a shock to the system for most people to have to go from like, I'm not saving anything for myself to $500 a month or whatever. But if you can like get the taste of like, oh, this is what it's like to set aside $5, $10 a week, a month, whatever the right increment and then slowly increase it, you get more comfortable with it mm -hmm. over time instead of like shock to the system. Mm -hmm. Is that what you see in your work? Yeah, I think that's exactly, yeah, I think that's exactly it. Um, and, and as women, you know, we do tend to put other people ahead of ourselves. You know, it's like, oh, well, I've got to pay, make the car payment and pay the mortgage and then the kids need to go to camp and, you know, I've got this or that going on. So we pay for all those things and then we kind of are like, okay, I need to get my hair done. And then, you know, I don't know if, if I don't know how everybody's husband is, but sometimes a husband will be like, well, why do you need to pay that much for your hair? And oh, yeah. you're like, oh, yeah. we, women, I mean, y'all know how much it costs to get your hair done. It is not cheap. No, no <laughs> but, it's um, more than the $30 yeah, male cut. Yeah, exactly. And it's frustrating, I think, for women sometimes to hear that, you know, it's like, oh, my gosh, you know, I just I need this one thing to make me feel good. And, you know, there's ways you can incorporate that into your budget, but still save for all those goals and still, you know, look after your family, too. And, and it just comes down to some structure and prioritizing what's really important in, in your life and, and what direction you want to go in and what those goals are that you have for you and your family. Yeah. And I think this, you know, this is playing on some strong gender stereotypes, right? But being able to show like, here's how me spending $150 on my haircut or $200, whatever it is, I don't know the exact number. Um, what is, what's a, oh. what's a female hair? What's, okay. Okay. Help me. What's, it's it could be, it could easily be $200 for a cut and color. Okay. So minimum $200. Let's yeah. be, let's be generous and call it $300. Right. Sure. But if we can do a forward looking budget, 
we can start mm -hmm. to figure out, we put that as a big block in there and saying $300 for my haircut every, what, eight weeks, six weeks. Sure. I mean, it's different yeah. for each person, right? Yeah. But that's is, yes. part of the decision you get to make is how frequent do I want to do this for myself? Um, right. And it's really about taking an empowered position over the spending. Mm hmm, mm -hmm. It, it is. And, you know, it's important to, you know, we've talked about savings and, and paying yourself first and making sure you have money for those goals, whatever those are. But, you know, your fixed expenses are so important, too. They're, they're um, fixed expenses are not truly fixed. You know, they're everything's a, a little uh, fungible there. So it's just how much value do we put on it? Um, I actually had clients who were probably not including their mortgage, they were about $200,000 in debt, but they came to me and really, really wanted to fix things. So they, um, they sold one of their cars and went down to one car for a while. And then they're like, yeah, we can't really do one car. So they bought like a, you know, a small, cheap car and right. that worked for them. They sold their house and downsized their house and changed that. They were paying off credit cards left and right. And they really, really worked hard to get rid of extraneous expenses and they did that you know everybody can't do that everybody's not in the place to do that but um oh my gosh they made those really big drastic decisions and worked together um to make some of those changes now kind of the the end of that story was the husband passed away but because they had made those changes and and um you know, updates in their life. The wife is actually in an okay position now because she's she's retired and she's going to be fine. And I don't think that would have been the case if we hadn't worked together to really identify how they can, um, you know, work through some of those debt pieces that they had. So this, I mean, this raises such an interesting question, right? Is you're, you've created this program for women, smart women budgeting. And yet this example is great with the partner in, intact. And so is some part of the program also talking with women about how to talk with their partner about the household spending or how do you help women think about that? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah I think, um, I think w as women, you know, we said earlier, we mentioned earlier that we are often the ones who, who do the budget. And sometimes there's a disconnect, especially if you're like a, a you know, a stay at home spouse. Maybe your husband works and he brings home, you know, all the money. So he might think, I make really good income. We're all good. But as the, the wife on the other side of it, managing the day to day spending, you might be like, oh, my gosh, we don't have enough money for everything. Where's it all going? So sometimes there's a disconnect at that level. Um, so that's why I think it's really important to have those conversations about how much should we save? How much should we spend on our house? How much should we yeah. spend on a car? Can we afford this or that or the other thing? Do we really need to buy X and put on debt, or do we save up for it first and then make that purchase? So I think having those conversations together is really the key to to bringing that whole budget piece together. Because once you have that conversation and make those decisions, and this is something that the app works really well with, because even if you were to go through the 
the online course and the teaching, you would you would build up that con- those concepts and the knowledge for yourself. And you could always share that budget with your spouse and say, okay, look, here's the income we have. And here's where I think the savings should go. Where do you think the savings should go? What are we missing here? Okay, here's what we're spending on our fixed expenses. Are, are we missing anything? What, what about this or that? And then, okay, here's what's left over for regular day-to-day spending. What can we do about that? And then then once you have the numbers out there in those kind of categories, you can like mentally bucket them and have those individual conversations to make your budget numbers work together. Because again, the app is just, it's a great conversation tool and it's a way to help you make decisions. The implementation comes after the fact. Right. The implementation is kind of the last phase of it all. But it's you got to gather the data, mm-hmm. you, and then you got to get it in the app and start to organize it. And then what it, it sounds like you're saying is, like you got to have a conversation with your partner. This is not if you're in an intimate partnership. This is not about okay, Sally or Susie, you're responsible for doing this, and it's all on your shoulders. I don't. That's not mm-hmm. what you're saying. I think Pam, right? It's like, hey, you you yeah, get not you, not at yeah. all. It, yeah, anytime. You are, you know, I always think of it if if you're in that, you know, married or in that that one on run relationship, you're a team. And that means the income comes in as a team and the savings should be as a team and then the outflow also as a team. So you got to work together on this stuff. And and there's proven studies that show that. People who are married have a higher net worth than people who are not married or people who have been divorced. And the numbers just bear that out. And I think a lot of that really comes together for people who have the best communication that where they can really talk to each other and have those open conversations about their money and their budget and where they want their money to go. Yeah, the open collaborative conversations, right, are kind of the gold standard, if you will. And if couples mm-hmm. are struggling with that, that's kind of that relationship between the financial planner who can help set the goals and the clarity and the direction and the financial therapist, the, the seat that I often more sit in is, okay, you struggle to talk and talk openly or collaboratively with your partner now that you have the information. What's going on there? What do we do to help increase that or make it smoother? Welcome to 2024, and thank you for listening to the Healthy Love and Money podcast. I'd like to take you behind the scenes of therapy-informed financial planning, where we talk about emotions, we talk about retirement plans, we talk about painful family experiences with money, and so much more. There's no need to hide things that leave you feeling embarrassed or ashamed about your financial situation. This year, we watch couples and individuals work through financial anxiety and start talking lovingly about money. We saw couples and individuals take action towards their goals, like closing a business that no longer fit them, paying off debt that felt crushing, increasing their comfort with their realized wealth, and ultimately overcoming some of those financial secrets that have been plaguing the relationship. Ultimately, the best part was seeing smiles return to our clients' faces about life, relationships, and money. This is why we do therapy-informed financial planning. I invite you to make 2024 the year you start therapy-informed financial planning. Check the show notes below to schedule your free 30-minute consultation. You know, when you see or talk with your clients about having these conversations with their partners, what are some of the, the ways that they set the conversation up for a win? 
Mm. You know, I think that is very dependent on the relationship and and how it's working, you know, to your point. Some people can, you know, easily have that conversation. Some people, it's going to be a little bit harder. It's like, oh, yeah, my husband doesn't want to ever talk about that. Or my, you know, my wife is, you know, I'm the saver. She's the spender. I hear a lot of that. Oh, yeah. Um, So sometimes it is. Yeah. Sometimes it's very helpful to have a third party to come in and ask those questions. And I I feel like that's what I do a a lot for people, because um, as a CFP professional, you know, I, I've got that experience and that time behind me and people are uh, people value what they pay for as well. Sure. So I will say having a financial planner, financial advisor, there's value in that. So use them and pick their brain. That's what they're they're here for. Um, so, yeah, when they when it, when you have a financial planner saying, OK, tell me all your income. And then the wife says, well, yeah, don't you have this? other? Oh, yeah, I do. I have this other here. Oh, well, didn't we spend that over? The- oh, yeah, we got to add this here. Oh, wait a minute. Are, we should be saving for this, but we but we haven't been, you know. So it's that type of conversation that the, the planner can facilitate and help you, um, you know, get everything out in the open in a less confrontational way if, if you're feeling uncomfortable with that. That's right. Yeah, I think that's a huge part of of a really productive financial planner. And that if you haven't found one, I mean, I would encourage you to reach out to Pam or to me. Uh, we would be happy to work with you. But there are plenty of great CFP professionals out there. But if you're looking for one, make sure to ask them a question: Are you comfortable helping facilitate conversations? Because not all planners are. Mm-hmm. But that's you know. So you know the thing that you raise, and I think that perspective of years of doing this work is there are common patterns or rules for success. And yet there's a lot of nuance and subtlety for each family, right? And how they decide how much money to allocate to a vacation versus getting their hair done versus summer camps, private school, public school, supporting mom and dad, supporting an adult child. I mean, what have you, there's just a lot of different financial goals people have to sort through. Um, Mm -hmm. So when you see and when you work with folks who they're not real clear in their head about how much money they're spending. It's a little foggy and a little chaotic. And then you walk them through this type of process. What do you notice happen for them kind of at that psychological level when they get to clarity and they get to confidence? Like, what do you see change about them? I I really do. I think you hit the right word is confidence. I do see more confidence um, in them. They are more um, confident about what they're spending and what they're spending on and why they're spending. Um, I had um, one lady, she was in an interesting um, position. She was divorced, but then her ex-spouse passed away. So she inherited some leftover from him, but she was like, oh my gosh, he's not there paying, you know, the child support anymore. And, you know, I don't think she was collecting alimony, but, you know, that piece went away. It changed her budget dramatically. And so she had to figure out, okay, I do have some, some cash from this. How do I translate that into my budget? And she, but she came to us very afraid. And it was not as much that she was afraid about the money. She was afraid about the unknown. And that's always a a challenge. So once you get it out in the open and say, okay, here's what the income is. Here's what the, here's the gap, you know, okay, maybe I've got an income gap and I don't have enough. Then you can start to address it and figure out, oh, okay, why don't I have enough? Am I spending too much? Or do I just 
not have enough? You know, do yeah. I need to, to make some bigger changes or do I just need more income? Sometimes that's the case, too. So um, by putting it out there and, and putting it in a place where you can look at it and see it like our budgeting app, then you can really um, start to face, OK, what is the real issue? And then it stops becoming a fear and a concern because now it's you can see what the reality is. So it, it kind of gets it out of your head some and, and it's something that you can actually um, deal with and manage. You know, it's funny. I have uh, little kids now and you know, one of them is, is dealing with some nightmares and it's pretty normal, I think, for five year olds. Right. But, it, you know, his oh, mindset, yes. he says there's the boogeyman in the closet kind of thing. And I think, you know, to some extent for even us as adults, we can fear like looking in that closet and like what we might see and be scared of it. And yet, you know, as adults, there's nothing in the closet that's totally overwhelming or scary. I mean, it might be an initial shock when you look at your life and what's going on. But I think you raise such an interesting point is our lives are evolving and dynamic and we may be comfortable in a current season of life with a certain amount of spending for groceries and all the things we normally spend our money on. But then if we go through a divorce or we go through an increase in income or a decrease in income or an increase in assets or a decrease in assets for any number of reasons, we kind of have to recalibrate our brains on how much money can we spend on a vacation? How much money can we spend on, you know, groceries weekly? I mean, how much money can we spend on entertainment? Those are questions that have to be reevaluated and reflected on every time we go through a change in life. And that's, it sounds so simple, but I think a lot of us just don't slow down enough to reevaluate what does this mean for us now? And so we just use subjectivity, our gut. Oh, this feels like the right amount of money to be spending on groceries, the kids, the theater, you know, sporting events, whatever. But yeah. And, you know, we can I, there's always two ways you can do it is you can, um, you know, decide how you want your life to look and how you want your life to live. Or you can just let life happen to you. And that's never a good way. Um, I know recently with the the big spike in inflation that we've had. That has been the the thing that I've heard a lot about. It's really cutting into people's um you know, their, their wallets and their groceries, groceries are through the roof. Um, yeah. that has been really, really hard, uh, for a lot of people to deal with. So sometimes, you know, that, that's something that's completely out of our control. Um, right. but if you're looking at your budget and managing it and thinking, okay, this is, this is an issue. Let me go back and look at the decisions that I made earlier. Let's see if I need to change any of those decisions. Do I need to make any adjustments so that my, you know, I'm making sure that we're comfortable on the food budget. Maybe I have to cut back on something else. I love this conversation. I'm just going to share, Pam. It's in my own journey and relationship with money. I think I have this idea in my head um, that, if we just reached a certain level of income, we wouldn't have to worry about budgeting anymore. And you know what? I I've think done? a lot of people have that idea, and that's that's um, 
I see that every day. It does, and it does not matter how much money you make. You need to have some type of budget in in place. I see people every day who are making six figures who come to me and say, "Yeah, we make good money, but I, I feel like I don't have anything to show for it. I feel like it's all gone out the door. We spend what comes in. I don't have any savings, and, and it all comes down to." not having a good solid budget and not having a handle on where the money's actually going. And so I appreciate you being able to receive that and normalize that is, I think there's a lot of us that grow Mm -hmm. up uh, maybe with some degree of financial constraint and we think, well, the way to solve this problem is just to make more money. And if we just make more money, everything will work out. It's kind of the, the conscious and unconscious logic that lives in our brains. And then when we wake up and we realize I'm making 150, 200, 300, 400, you know, I've you know, seen these large salaries and people are not increasing that worth. Mm-hmm. They're at a loss. And it's there's a part of them when you start to give them the space to, nor- to articulate that, it can start to shift and be like, oh. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's that, what's that old classic phrase? More money, more problems. But I think that's only, yeah. really, that's only true if you're not being mindful about it, right? Mm-hmm. If you have a nice, healthy six-figure income and you're thoughtful about how the money is flowing through, mm-hmm. uh, it, more money can be less problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you do have more money, um, one of the things that that we talk about some is um, you have to tell your money what to do. Like You have to logically tell your money what to do or it will emotionally disappear because that's, <laughs> it's so easy to go spend stuff. You know, that's fun. Ah. <sighs> But so we have to like take that step back and say, okay, oh. we, we have, you know, we got to pay this, this, and this, and then we can use the rest of it for other spending. Okay. Well, this is, I mean, I'm, I am speaking, and I know that you, you'll take this as a term of endearment, but the budgeting queen. I, I love uh, it. <laughs> no, that's why I'm your financial mom. You have to do your budget because I said so. Yes. With, <laughs> with no shame in there, but, you know, we do want you to do it. And, you know, I do think, you know, so this is that taking it the next step, there's a couple of things I want this to lead into, right? Is a lot of families, mm-hmm. budgeting would be really easy if the family made exactly $6,000 a month every month, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. the, so the income was perfectly consistent. But mm-hmm. how many families have a perfectly consistent amount of money coming into their house every month, year in and year out? Yeah, they don't. And that that does make it challenging. Um, when when you have that regular consistent salary, it is much easier to budget for sure. But when you don't, then you have to then you have to work backwards a little bit. You have to yeah. look at your budget and say, OK, what are my what are my expenses and my savings? What do I have to have? And then, you know, how much do I need left over for, for other spending? And then that's the amount you're like, okay, if if I need, and I'm going to make up some numbers, let's say I need $5,000 a month. Well, let's say one month I get paid $12,000, but the next month I only get $3,000. So the month you get $12,000, you have to, you have to like set it aside in, you know, right. a savings or something. And then instead of catching up on all the bills and do this, you have to start paying yourself regularly out of that money and it's it's a different mindset and you have to be very intentional about doing this again or that money will emotionally disappear because it's really nice to get that big windfall and say whoo okay we can catch up now but if you set that money aside and then say okay i'm going to pay myself 
$5,000 out of here every month, then, um, you know, when you have the big months, you're going to have more money in, in that savings pot that you can set aside. And in the lean months, you have money that you can draw from, but you can still create your own regular, consistent uh, income flow to help manage those regular, consistent outflows that you have. You know, I, I really appreciate you, you talking about this because that's it's one of the things that I see a lot of entrepreneurial families struggle with is there is income inconsistency and there's ebb and flows and some are far more drastic and sporadic in it and some are a little, there's a narrower range. But I think what you're talking about, and mm -hmm. I think it's really, people may have missed this point, but the point that stood out to me is when you get that big lump sum pay income, don't go and pay everything back off. Mm -hmm. But rather, you need to make your minimum payments, put food on the table, and then put some money to the side. Because what mm -hmm. we know is going to happen is next month or two months from now, you're not going to have a big lump sum in. And you're still going to have mm -hmm. debts that need to be paid. And so the decision yes. we're starting to make is, if I, I'm going to make a reasonable estimate about how much I'm going to earn for the whole year. Mm -hmm. Right? And then I'm going to calculate how much is that per month that I need to pay myself. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so it just takes, it takes a little more math to, to make it right, but it's still very doable. And the math that we're talking about here, so this opens up another can of worms, right? I, I hear people have this story in their head. I'm not good at math, so I'm not good at money. <laughs> you know, we when we created Smart Women Budgeting, this is it, we said we want people to create their emotionally rational budget because we know our budget works on both sides of our brains there with almost no math. And that was kind of the goal of it is we didn't want people to have to do a lot of math. We didn't want them to to we didn't want the math to be a stumbling block for them. So we, the app does all the math for you, which is nice. And right. then your job is to think about what are the decisions I need to make. So that's where you can focus your, your big energies. Don't focus on the math. We can make that happen. Um, that's, I, I tell people that it's what I do too for, for a living. I'm like, I'm not really great at the math. That's not my job. My job is not to do the math. My job is to interpret the math. So that's what you're doing in this case. And so, you know, for anybody that has that story in their head that I'm not good at math, we can just set that on mm -hmm. the, on the shelf for a minute and engage and work with someone. Yep, take it away. That can help us mm -hmm. navigate it. So, you know, the the next piece is, you know, we, we've talked a lot about personal finances, but as a business owner and working with business owners, darn if I don't see the exact same pattern show up in the business. I don't know. Yes. Like, Right. Like the business needs a budget process as well. Mm -hmm. What it, it what, does. What do you see? Because there's look, I love it. There's so much energy around women entrepreneurship mm -hmm. and it, mm -hmm. it's incredible. And yeah, we need to continue to learn how the budgeting process on the business flows through to the family side and how to manage that well. Do you have some thoughts about how women can be women and couples can be intentional about the business budgeting side of things? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the first thing you have to do, I think, is completely separate what's the business versus what's your personal stuff. And you have to 
really look at your your business, your income, your outflow. Keep that all that money in set completely separate accounts. Do not mix it with your personal stuff. The mix from your personal stuff comes when you pay yourself. That's the only time you should have that. That's the only like bridge between the two. Yes. And I highly recommend a book called Profit First. So go read the book Profit First. And um, that is a huge, huge eye opener for how to manage the business money. Um, And a lot of those concepts actually do play into your own personal budget as well. I I have read Profit First. I'm I'm due for a rereading of it. And it's an implementation, right? I think there's no perfect program out there, but there's really good, good programs. And that is a good program for business owners because uh, Mike talks a lot about how to just do real accounting for business, not tax accounting. And there's a difference. And that's mm-hmm. we, we as when we're in the business owner, I say, well, this is better from a tax perspective. So I'm going to do this and this. And then we get ourselves in these really weird positions that aren't actually so helpful. Right. Yeah. So we, we don't want to let the tax. What is it that we don't want to let the tax tail wag the dog dog. yes yeah so (laughs) um so yeah the and and you know there is the the accounting and the tax piece that has to happen but it's interesting when you get to the end of the year and do your taxes and the business says oh you made this much money and you're like well where did it all go (laughs) so um because from a practical everyday standpoint I mean, what the most important thing is the cash flow, the income that's coming in. And then when the income goes out, you've got to kind of match those two. So um, taxes, while they're, you know, interesting and important, are not, um, you know, from a day to day basis. It's kind of a different concept. So that profit first book actually helps you to see um, a little bit about the differences, but also how to manage that cash flow to your benefit. So deep breath, Pam, as we get here to the end of our time talking about this, what have we not talked about that is so relevant to cash flow management? The the biggest piece, we talked a whole lot about savings and, and spending and your budget and getting the numbers and doing the decisions. The one thing we didn't talk about was implementing your budget. When you get it all on a piece of paper, and this is where people tend to fall down, they get it on a piece of paper, they're like, this looks really good, let's do this. And and the couple might say, okay, great. But then that that's kind of as far as it goes sometimes. Yeah. So you have to set up a system to implement it. So one of the things we recommend is people to have separate accounts to do that. So Mm. for example, I like to call it your main account. You can call it whatever you want to, but maybe in your main account, you have all your income come in. You um, can automate your savings out. You can automate your um, bills out. And then the the difference, that spending amount that you've already calculated because you made those decisions, put that money in an entirely separate checking account. Because then what that does is it takes away the burden of making a lot of those decisions. It takes away the burden of wondering, okay, can I spend this much at the grocery store? Cause I know I got to make my car payment because you've already calculated your numbers. That money's coming out of your main account. So the only things coming out of that spending account are those variable expenses like, you know, food and gas and your hair and your dog and, you know, whatever you have going on there. Um, That's a huge, huge help because all of a sudden you are, you are budgeting, and I'm saying that in air quotes, with a much smaller pool of money. And 
it, it makes a whole lot more sense to you for the day-to-day spending to come out of that pool of money. And then, you know, you can feel very confident your savings is going to happen. Your fixed expenses are going to happen. Everything's going to get paid because you can set that up. And then you just you can use your debit card on this account and go to the grocery store and go get all those other things without the, the worry or hassle or frustration of kind of that that mix that comes in between all those things. Awesome. Well, Pam, thank you so much for your energy and excitement about cash flow management as a huge part of financial planning and getting that piece first makes the rest of financial planning so much more purposeful and effective. Uh, If people want to learn more about smart women budgeting, where do they go? Ah, absolutely. Um, You can follow us on Face Women. You can follow your financial mom. What did I say? Face Women? That's we should have a Face Women group. I love Um, it. Yeah. Uh, face. <laughs> we have a Facebook page called Your Financial Mom. We yeah. have an Instagram page for Your Financial Mom. So definitely follow us there. Um, we, um, I will add. I'll send you a link too, so that we'll have a, a, a link if you can post that to yeah. our um, Smart Women Budgeting kind of sure. homepage. And from there, you can sign up for our email and and learn a little bit more about uh, Smart Women Budgeting and uh, see whenever the the program's released. We're shooting for. September of 23. So hoping it's going to be ready to go. If you've ever done a tech project, though, you know, that could be delayed, but that's the goal right there. And um, yeah, we would love to have people come and and log in and, and learn more and join us. Awesome. Thank you so much for the work you're doing in the world, Pam. Have a great day. Thank you, Ed. I invite you now to stop for five or 10 minutes and reflect on what you just heard. Maybe even journal about it. Give yourself the time to consider what you just heard and what it means to you. By giving yourself the time to reflect and integrate what you just heard, it will help you along your journey of learning, healing, and growing towards financial intimacy in your life. Please like and follow this podcast and share with someone that would benefit from being on the journey of financial intimacy. Wishing you healthy love and money, Ed. Ed.